Boom. Welcome back to the RMP, guys. I'm Zachary, your host of this fucking podcast on Instagram at The Muscle Hamster, which, you know, I'm questioning maybe changing that uh, to get a little more specific to the brand. But we are here to question the mess, make some rebel actions, and start living life on our own terms. Now, how the fuck is everybody? How's everybody doing? There has been, I know that I missed an episode last week. That is totally my fault. I will fess up to that. Um, I've let things definitely get in the way, but I've, there's obviously also a lot going on for me. Um, I'm trying to assess and schedule and make sure that what comes up in the future for the podcast and the brand itself is substantially better and more consistent. So we're all on this crazy journey trying to figure life out. I think the biggest secret that nobody wants to admit is that we're we don't know what the fuck we're doing that most of the time we don't know what the fuck we're doing and it might give you a little bit of satisfaction and relief knowing that if if we can allow ourselves to think this to legitimately think this that maybe we'll give ourselves a little bit more credit and maybe we'll stop stop giving ourselves such a hard time but there has been a lot going on i i went to a comedy show that from a comedian that I absolutely love um, and laughed my ass off in a way that I haven't for a long time. I'm getting ready to move, which actually is tomorrow. Um, the date is the date that this is actually coming out. But the the episode I had today was the 2.0 that I promised you guys for uh, in the inter- at the interview with Gen D's. Oh my god! So I'm my mind's wrapped around so much about tomorrow that I can't keep my head straight. But this is the 2.0 with her. Um, the first episode with her, if you heard it, Jen D is the physical trainer. Um, we talked about her story and almost the whole podcast was based around her story. So if you got a little bit of intimate, bit intimate with that, you figure out who she was. This is the part where we actually dug into a lot of things around her knowledge and expertise. And we talked a lot about uh the potential of nutrition and physical health in the medical system it sounds like it's something that she's going to get into into the medical field and we talked a lot about the the methods and the techniques and the importance of everything based around our physical and nutritional health uh diet and and what that means and the ways to go about it and the ways to go about physical health and the differences in the athletics and the angles to come from so there's a really a lot a lot with this is the first episode that i've had that was over two hours it was a lot there's a bunch of little tiny nuggets in there um for Anybody that that really wants to soak up this type of information, if you're already a really good personal trainer or in the nutritional field, then fucking yes, you already get it. You are this isn't for you. But for anybody that's a hobbyist, for anybody that's maybe a gym rat, for anybody that uh, just l- likes to hear the conversations around these p- specific ideas uh, and these specific fields, then you're gonna love this. It's gonna be fucking absolutely fantastic but i hope everybody's doing really well i am on edge with so many things right now and i hope to i really i really hope to just make this podcast better and the brand better and the content better and 
there's a couple things that I've been legitimately waiting for, which is a very, very bad excuse, but at the same time, I'm so close to getting them that I think things will flow, and I hope that you guys can hold me to that because it's very important for what we're trying to do here, for the questions that we're trying to create and the, the content and, and the community that, that I've been trying to create for a couple years now. Uh, it's kind of coming down to a couple situations that sound like excuses and I hope that they're not. And, you know, finally having these things in my hands to where I can, I can make the progress that I really wanted to with the RMP and the question everything motto and the whole idea. And so if you've been hesitant to be a part of this community, I hope that you hang on. I really want to bring a lot more and it's it's coming soon. It's coming soon, I promise. So without any further ado, let's get into this interview with Gen D's. This is the 2.0. I hope you guys enjoy the hell out of it. Stay strong, stay real minded. So, uh, so where are you at with, with everything? I mean, because uh, after the last time we talked, I was like, oh, she's still, you're still um, in your education, right? Like you, I mean, I know that you're probably continuing education, but mm-hmm. um, weren't you, I can't remember what I was reading off of your, off of your profile. Uh, you're also in the medical field, kind of. Is that what I remember? Yeah, I would really like to go uh, to PA school. Um, yes. Okay. That's okay. something that I'm really interested in. It's either that or I'll end up doing like MRI. Um, mm-hmm. I do like that too. PA school is just is really competitive, and so I've just been a little bit more careful about how of my workload that I take on because yeah. basically, if you don't have like a 3.85 or above, you ain't getting into PA school. So, um, and even then, like the lower your GPA is from a 4.0, the less of a chance you have. Mm-hmm. So it's really important that I am on top of my shit and have a reasonable load so I can get all A's. Um, mm-hmm. So my backup plan basically with that, as far as like where my degrees at is I can, I can go radiology MRI and do that instead. If, if I feel like if I don't get accepted into uh, PA school or I just decide to go a different route, like I can do that. But honestly, my, my idea with that is though, I would really like to bring I really hate how doctors go about things. So I would really like to bring my knowledge to the table and my experience, you know, with nutrition and working out. So when people come in with problems like that, I can guide mm. them a little bit better than a typical like MD, you know? Cause you've got depth in areas where you know, it's going to aid in that injury re- recovery. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and a lot of doctors give really bad nutrition advice because it's based off of, they get really, kind of simple nutrition training in school and it's basically like here's how to not be obese and here's how to not have diabetes like it's Mm -hmm. not really anything much more than that so like when people come to you and they need to lose weight and they you know i've heard so many different things like my doctor said yeah i can only eat this my doctor said i have to do keto my doctor said i have to i can't eat bread ever again like it's the shit like that that gets me i'm just Mm -hmm. always like that's not real advice but okay you know yeah um and so I'd really like to be able to bring some of what I know to the medical field. Yeah. Um, because I think that's a problem. No, I was, uh, so I just, um, I've been a skeptic, but also a supporter of Paul Saladino. Have you seen his stuff? The carnivore MD okay. guy. 
Oh, okay. A little bit. Uh huh. Yeah. And, you know, I like to watch this stuff because I, I like to, I like to process and I like to question, obviously. Um, but, you know, the, the, like the last post he put up today, I think was, uh, he was talking about how much he learned in the medical field. You know, he's, he's a fucking MD, but he said, they don't teach shit for nutrition and, and, you know, everything that he's learned about the, the, you know, nutrition beyond that, he said, like, he, he wants to be able to help change the medical field because he thinks that that's where it needs to start. He said, you know, that's, I, I think that, um, the medical system needs to be based less and less around the prescription of drugs and like knowing what our, our, um, our fixes are, are based around our, you know, symptoms and start with the basics of, uh, physical and, you know, nutritional health. He said, that's where like the medical field should have started. And Mm -hmm. he wants to be able to help turn that around. But it's like, fuck yeah, man. Like after everything Mm -hmm. I've learned and the stuff that I've heard from you and stuff that I heard from all, all these other people that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I, I'm very passionate about that too. And what you, what you would call that in like Mm -hmm. terms is what we fail as like us is we concentrate on treatment medicine and Mm -hmm. not preventative medicine. Right. Yes. Yes. So, and for me, like one of my passions that I would really like to do is like a dissertation for like PA school. My idea would be like to do, I would like to bridge the gap of um, insurance companies being able to work with personal trainers because they do a little bit, but not very often what you would, you would have to make a more standardization of the education for Mm -hmm. trainers because that's not regulated very well. Um, And I'm sure that's a big reason why insurance companies don't always want to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. But the thing is, when you get somebody who's like from a doctor and they're like, hey, yeah, you have four months to fix your insulin or you're going to be diabetic, like, and they have no money and they can't pay trainer, like, reasonably, that's preventative medicine. Mm -hmm. So like, and being able, and like, technically, for insurance purposes, you in the long run, you would cost your insurance less if your preventative health was better, mm-hmm. right? They wouldn't have to pay for you to go to the doctor as often. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, and ultimately, we might actually be able to like, like, like if it if it went far enough, majoritively, like we could lower people's insurance rates because less would be happening. We'd be going to the oh, doctors yeah. less. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, it's 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 a big problem. We spent three tri- uh, the, in 2012, we spent three trillion dollars only on diabetes and cardiovascular disease alone. Three trillion. Mm. And they and they estimate that 75 percent of that can be preventable because we consider 25 percent of that can be can have some attributions to um to uh, her- hereditary issues, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. We can say, okay, about 25% of that, we could say maybe be some hereditary issues, but 75% of $3 trillion. That's it, so much. That's like $2.2 trillion like yeah. that is being wasted mm-hmm. on, on two issues, two issues. Mm-hmm. And both of those things can like 99% of the time be fixed with, with uh, nutrition and in physical health, like in working out basically, mm-hmm. you know, cause cardiovascular and diabetes, most of that comes from poor, poor nutrition and, and poor, um, working out. And, and the problem is that the demographic who needs that education to pass on, you know, generationally, they can't afford it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody's that, and not to mention that'd be the first thing that somebody would drop anyways, is like, if you, if you're paying 400 bucks a month for a trainer and you're like, oh man, I need to save a little bit of money. What's going to be the first thing to go? Well, Personal that's care. probably actually one of the more important things yeah. for your longevity and for your health. Mm-hmm. Um, I have worked with insurance companies who've paid for some training for clients before. And I think that's a fantastic idea. I think mm-hmm. that, um, education is really like where that missing pieces. And if we could, if the majority was going about doing this properly, we could literally like, you know, cause education compound, you, you educate one person and they educate five people and those five people educate five people. You know what I mean? Like the compound effect of that could be huge. Oh yeah. Um, so for me, that would be, that's, been my kind of goal since I started learning a lot about preventative health and, and how our healthcare works. Mm-hmm. I started, that's been my, like one of my little bucket list things to do is to try to see how I can put my voice out there about that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's whatever, what you're chasing here, I think is going to be, I think it should be a movement. Like that should legitimately be a movement. I think, um, because I, I, I know the way that I get irritated about and I think I was just lucky. Like I just got into physical fitness early and I, I wasn't so distracted by the world that, you know, I never, I never learned that stuff. Like I, it, even if it was, uh, maybe a little bit of, uh, vanity, <laughs> you know, getting in, into it, like mm-hmm. at least I stepped in and I, I kind of self-educated just through experience enough to, to know how important it is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to have the the mental and physical benefits so that, you know, it's, it's just habitual. It's just, it's just part of my lifestyle now, no matter, no matter how, how much I fluctuate, you know, whether I'm a competitor or not. So, so, so that would kind of take me to this, this idea of like, there's people out there that legitimately have no connection to physical and nutritional health. Health. Right. And, and these are the things that, um, that I love talking to you about because these are, these are your things. Like these are legit your, your things is physical and nutritional health. And um, I, I know one of the first things, well, do you think that one should come before the other? If you were going to start out at, you know, I guess eventually it has to encompass both. Yeah. How do you, how would, how do you think that you would, would motivate people to, to do something first? What do you think it'd be more physical like exercise or do you think it'd be more nutritional based? It depends on the person, but a lot of people do better off concentrating on the physical side first yeah. and then adding the nutrition piece because everybody, almost everybody dreads the nutrition piece more. Yeah. Yeah. We're it's addicted hard. To food. Well, yeah. And, and you got to think about, you got to think about the fact that, um, the workout part is like that one or two hours a day that you can mentally get yourself motivated or disciplined mm-hmm. enough to do that. But the nutrition part is you like 14, 12, 14 hours a day mentally being disciplined. That's harder, mm-hmm. you know, being consistent mm-hmm. with that. You know, you have a bad day, you had a fight or whatever. And, so, and a lot of people, you know, don't realize that, you know, eating food, um, you know, releases endorphins. And so they fix, they fix those issues, those short-term issues with food or whatever. And so it, it's a lot harder for people to, um, stick with that first. Mm-hmm. I, in my experience. Um, mm-hmm. so a lot of times I'll have people, some people, I have had clients who've done better starting with nutrition and then going to the workout part. But for the majority, I'd say probably about 70%, maybe even 80. Mm-hmm. Most people 
once they start getting regular in the gym, then we add the next habit, the harder Mm -hmm. habit technically. But the reason why I think it works better is because once they start getting addicted to the gym or they're starting to get those endorphins from somewhere else, first of all, so Mm -hmm. we don't have to rely on food as much. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, uh, they start to, they start to really want to see results. And a lot of them will start to realize, oh man, I'm not going to see the results until the food comes. So once they get in that habit of working out, they're like, oh man, this is really great, but I'm not seeing the results I want because yeah. of the food. And so that's yeah. usually when they make the decision to tack on the nutrition part mm-hmm. and actually follow that. In fact, sometimes I have clients that come to me. In fact, I have a rugby client right now. It's kind of funny. I predict this, but, um, he didn't want us to focus on food in the beginning. I said, that's fine. Whatever we can focus on your uh, performance. And that's what I've been doing with his training. Eventually he was like getting stronger and better, but he's kind of plateauing a little bit. And I kept telling him, you know, I'm a broken record. I'm like, dude, you're, if your food was better, you'd make more progress. You'd feel better during your workouts. Like blah, blah, blah. He finally starts doing that. And what do you know, we got some physical progress going on. We're hitting PRs now because we're eating properly and fueling properly. And it, t- it took him a few months to make that decision, but that happens mm-hmm. all the time, all the time. So, yeah, I mean, because I, I know that there's been stages where, and I've for the longest time had, a, have, had, had an excuse as a powerlifter to eat a lot of things because most mm-hmm. of the time when I, <laughs> you know, when I'm heavier, like it's, it's more, it's easier to handle the intense workouts, but, right. but, but to go against that, I know that I've been, you know, I've, even when I've been really driven and I want to work out really hard, um, I can go in the gym and, and bust my ass, but my, my peaking and my energy levels and my, the ability for me to feel like I'm at my best doesn't come until my food levels out until I get things straight when it comes to like my hydration and my sleep and my food, especially my food. Um, and I notice it within like a couple of weeks of eating clean, you know, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so what is it? What are the big things in food that make the diet part so hard? What is it about fucking food? I mean, I know that we get these dopamine dumps, right? Um, I like, also I think it's partly cultural. Myself. I, I okay. honestly think it's a little yeah. bit cultural too, because we base a lot of things around food. You go to the movie theaters, what do you do? You yeah. buy snacks you know you when you have a get together what's expected food is the food ever healthy is it like mm. macro friendly food no you know what i mean so in some ways i think it's a little bit of a social cultural thing that you know we base a lot of things around food and we don't choose things that are healthy basically and and mm. and it just kind of gets bypassed or whatever um like people think of having a good time and they think of unhealthy food not healthy foods you know what i mean Oh, totally. Like, yeah. In our brains, we don't, you know, eating healthy seems like a chore and like a bad, you know, like people have kind of a negative connotation to that. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as you talk about dieting, they're like, I don't want to eat chicken or rice all day. Like you have everybody's like, it's like they've got this frame of mind that's been given to them. But um, mm-hmm. so I think it's kind of a social cultural thing. Um, but like I said, I think it also just comes down to the fact that you have to be disciplined throughout an entire day versus mm-hmm. one or two hours a day. You know what I mean? Like those shifts in emotions, people don't, mm, people, uh, a lot of times use, I mean, we, uh, as, as a, as a race, we use different things to cope, right. Whether it be alcohol or drugs or food or whatever. And I think that food is obviously a very easy, uh, easily accessible. And so I think a lot of people just kind of 
abuse it as far as being as, as a coping mechanism, really. Yeah. I mean, I'm guilty <laughs> of that too, for sure. Like I recognize that within myself. Um, and so I think that's probably part, part of the disconnect is just that yeah. we live in a society where we're hustle and bustle all the time. Our self-awareness I think has gone down because we spend so much time reading other people's opinions looking at other people's opinions. We don't spend a lot of time by ourselves. Um, and so, and sometimes people's lack of self-awareness can take them to not understanding the underlying problem. And so we cope with something else. It's easier, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I, I know what you're getting at because I, it's just been recently that I've been able to slow down enough and say, hey, is this a stress response? Like, am I going to go... Yeah pick up this food because like, I feel like I need to be like, this is part of, you know, a good health habit, or is this a stress response? And, you know, obviously I ask myself that because of the type of food that I think I'm after, but it also depends on my sleep, like how well I sleep is, Mm -hmm. is connected to how habitual and disciplined I am about my food in the next day. Mm -hmm. It's super weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think once you think about it, it's probably fairly obvious, but it's also dependent on like the way that I work. So if I do, if I'm getting up early and I'm going straight to do like my regular day job stuff, I am way more susceptible to uh, like get, getting like a gas station burrito and an energy drink, like the worst mm-hmm. fucking thing. But if I'm I'm going into something that I like, I, I wake up and I've got plans for what I'm going to do based around my passion and my projects and my my other streams of income, then I already know that I'm going to my kitchen to eat the stuff, you know, the the whole food stuff and start off drinking water during the day. Like it's right. crazy. And, you know, that also goes into habits, but we probably won't be able to talk about that today. But so, so, but you did say something about being macro friendly and to everybody that doesn't really understand what that means, like, what does it mean to be macro friendly? And it's, I know it's going to get more complicated because it's going to depend on like what you're doing physically, right? Right. So um, obviously macros is a breakdown. you got macronutrients and micronutrients. Macronutrients are going to be your protein, carbs, and fat. Mm-hmm. Um, those are going to be basically what your body uses primarily for function, different bodily functions and energy for the gym uh, or daily life uh, in general. Um, so and having a balance of that is important because your body has, I can't even remember, but it's, it's like over 200 chemical reactions to happen in, in your body a day. And if you don't have the necessary ingredients for those to happen, they don't happen and your body will make it happen some other way. So mm-hmm. that's why it's important for, for the macronutrients to be balanced um, along with the calories. I tell people, um, I was just having a discussion with a client the other day though, actually, but sh- that it goes to calories because obviously as far as importance level, um, calories, know how much, in, like, calories, know out how much first. calories you take in. Yeah. So you okay. want to do calories and calories out first. Then number two is macros because we want that balance because we want those calories to work for us in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got your food choices because food choices do matter, um, to a certain degree. I mean, you can, you, or let's put it this way. You can utilize food choices to increase your performance and increase your healing and different things like that. Um, so, but that would probably be the order of importance that I would put them in. Okay. No, no, that, that totally makes sense because the, the more that I've listened, the more that I've heard a lot of people say the basic of it is the calories in calories out so that you're not Mm -hmm. 
overeating that you so, so you're not under eating mm-hmm. and you you're at least at this maintenance level to where you can your body can handle like your daily expenditure i guess correct right yeah. and then once you actually go into the macros i think this is uh i think this is crazy important because it's going to depend on because you can't uh, you can't just have protein shakes all day to hit your, your protein levels. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you can't decide that you're just going to add oil to everything to all of your right. food to hit your, your fat levels. Right. And most of the time people are probably going to blow that out of the water. Anyways, I think I mostly ever just destroy my fats, like when it comes to macro levels, but is there like a general sense of what the percent percentages should be? Like, what should we be meeting as far as our, our macro levels for each person? Um, so obviously it's going to depend a little bit on what your goals are, but if you want to say just like, if I were to just slap a general rule, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times like a, a 40, 40, 20, or like a, a 40, 30, 30 will work pretty well. So like, um, I'm a coach who tends to do, uh, a little bit of a higher carb. So, so, um, my carbs are almost, unless you're like in a serious deficient, your carbs are going to be at least 40%. You know, your fats, fats are going to be 20 to 30%. And then your protein is going to be 30 to 40%. And this is like um, percentage of your calories, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, and, but like, for example, for like power lifters, um, I change, that's a little bit different, like power lifters, competitors, things like that, that are doing things for strength. I'm usually doing like more of a 50 to 60% carbs. And then load the rest. I usually have at least a baseline of a 30% fat because um, it helps keep the, well, there's a lot of things it does, but partly partly helps keep strength lubricated and stuff like that and hormone levels Mm. balanced. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, but yeah, but like I said, um, probably like that 20 to 30% fat range. Then you've got like about 40% carbs. Sometimes you reduce that to 30, depending on their dieting hard or whatever. And then you're going to want to get um, a lot of times I said 30, 40% protein and then like 40%, sometimes plus for carbs. Like I said, I'm typically a higher carb. That's how I diet people is a little bit higher carbs, mostly because in my experience, some people do better with higher carbs and some people do with better with higher fats. Most people respond better to higher carbs than they do higher fats. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're doing some extor- extreme diet, like the keto or whatever, where you're relying on fats energy most people respond better to some of the, like that, that higher carb, just because that's where your body gets most of its energy, um, mm-hmm. readily available glycogen, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, so if we were to, to theoretically use me as, as a power lifter, um, there there's, and refresh this for me, there's like a certain amount that they say you, you should utilize as your protein, right? Like your, your protein intake and protein okay. is going to do whatever for, for the body compared to the carbs and the fats. And right. I, I know, I know that carbs are like the fast acting. So, so it's, it's quicker energy levels or, you know, um, better for energy for, for the gym or whatever. So as a power lifter, uh, what would things be like for me? Like I'm five, three, I weigh roughly 150 pounds. Um, and you know, I work out say, five times a week, like five days a week. So, um, your, my, I typically will run protein up close to about a pound per body fat that, okay. or by, uh, 
pound of weight. You don't really have to do, you can, uh, there's a couple ways to do that. You can do just lean mass. I typically will stick around body weight, sometimes a little bit less actually, just so I can push carbs. Oh, okay. Um, so like, for example, you could like, when I say a little bit less, I mean like 140 to 145 grams of protein, you know, like a little bit less than what you are, like doesn't have to be crazy. Um, and then you're looking at like, I like to do about 10 to 12 carbs per pound of body weight too. So, um, I'm not very good at math. So I don't know what that is off the top of my head without a calculator, but like, for example, I have a client right now who is a powerlifter who is about 172 pounds and, um, a lower end carb diet for him would be a little over 400 carbs and a higher end carb diet for him would probably be about 550 for carbs. Um, and right now I'm sitting somewhere kind of on the lower end with him, but, um, and then as far as your fats, um, usually about at that point, your fats usually are sitting around 70 or 80, um, about around that time. Um, maybe a little bit less, just like if it were for you, for example, since you're a little bit smaller, your, your carb range would be a little bit less, not by much, probably like higher 300s to high 400s, you know, is where we'd put you for carbs. And then your fats would probably sit, like I said, probably around between 60 and 80, but 60 would be very low end. So probably around 80. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always, when I ever take on a client, I'm, I, I'm always um, kind of upregulating their metabolism. So I really don't really get people who come to me already eating enough. So usually it's me bringing your food up to that point. Um, mm-hmm. Because most people come to me with just wacky macros and ca- calories. Well, yeah. And <laughs> who knows what, where, where, you know, what they come to you with, like stuff that they found off the internet, maybe, mm-hmm. I guess, like, there's so much crazy stuff on there. I can't remember the last time I paid attention to anything health related, you know, off of the internet, yeah. I mostly go off what I know and what, uh, you know, the smart people around me know the coaches, um, right. you know, the, health, the health, the health professionals that I, that I know personally. Um, but th- this would also depend on like what you were talking about with, with, with the, uh, whatever your goals are, because then mm-hmm. if you were say a bodybuilder and you need to lean out, obviously you start at the top, like are you going to like, is it for cutting? You know, you're going to have different stages of bodybuilding. You know, you're going to have like a commonly it's like what a bulk phase in a, in a leaning phase or whatever, mm-hmm. which can change over time, depending on when your competitions on or, or, or whatever. But, right. um, so we're not getting too jumbled up here. So we start with calories and calories, calories. out is the best way to, to get an idea of where we should be health wise. And then we jump down to macros. And then mm-hmm. the next thing is like our micronutrients, right? So what does that include? Where do we get the best, the best micronutrients? Um, how do we, how do we know we're at good levels? Um, I know that I've taken a bunch of vitamins. I don't know if I've always taken the right, <laughs> the right vitamins, but where, where do you start off with people on the micronutrients? What do you know? And what do you, um, so that would be where I, well, so I guess kind of food sources slash micronutrients. Um, so I like, I'm a very much whole foods person and that's mm-hmm. partly because that's what my bodybuilding coach instilled in me. In fact, I'm not a person who drinks protein shakes very often. I pretty much try and get all of my stuff with, with whole foods, partly because mm-hmm. I mean, I like to eat. So like physically eating is more enjoyable for me than drinking a shake. Like that's more, 
of a like I get more satiation from that. Um, mm-hmm. But also that gives me an opportunity to get better micronutrients from my food. So like not just getting pure protein because I just need protein. I also want to have the vitamins and minerals that are supporting the protein transport or other other nutrient transport in my body. Because mm-hmm. um, that's basically what my micronutrients do is they help transport some of those macronutrients and other bodily processes. They're like part of the chemical reaction, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I would consider them as. Um, and in my opinion, if you're, if you are um, eating maintenance calories or above, you shouldn't have to do a lot of supplementing. You should just probably eat whole foods. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, knowing a little bit about some of the benefits of different foods can help too. Where, for, whereas like, as far as talking about like simple and complex carbs. Um, so really, the really only thing that, that means is that they're either a polysaccharide, which obviously poly means more than one or a monosaccharide. A polysaccharide means that it has more than one bond that needs to be broken molecule wise in order okay. for it to be used. A monosaccharide has one bond that needs to be broken, takes a lot less energy for your body to do a lot faster before it can be used, right? Mm-hmm. So when when people are saying, hey, yeah, you should eat a, a simple carb before you work out, that's because your body only has to break one bond before it can release the energy that's um, the kilojoules that are in that calorie, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and which takes less energy for the body, less time, more readily available. Whereas like, for example, a complex carb, you know, it can have two bonds, three bonds for, I think four bonds, some are anyways, you got multiple bonds, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and those, uh, for somebody who's like experienced or whatever, I tend to use those towards the end of the day when, so like I load up on like uh, more simple carbs in the beginning of the day to, um, to, energize me throughout the day. So I'm kind of stay level. Um, and then at the end of the day, you know, I'm still needing to get food in number one, I start getting cravings. So I don't really want to be hungry in the evening. Cause that's, you know, when I'm going to start making bad decisions and two, um, I don't need as readily available energy when I'm sitting at home, like maybe mm-hmm. after dinner or whatever. And so what I'll do is I'll do, um, something that takes longer to break down. So a, I'm not hungry and B my body is just working on breaking down those, um, molecules and, uh, you're still getting the cat, you're still getting the, the macronutrients, but you don't need that readily available energy. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so the other thing that I think people need to understand is that they're, they probably need to pay attention to the differences in food choices too, based on your simple, your simple carbs and and your complex carbs so in a general rule like a white anything that's going to be uh like a white bread a white rice uh uh, something that's starchy but white potato Mm -hmm. those are all going to be a monosaccharide so a simple carb and then a lot of times we can think of um a polysaccharide being something that's going to be a darker color actually so you're going to find that in like um brown rice um uh, even like dark, darker leafy vegetables, things like that. Um, sweet potatoes. So again, a, a little bit of a darker color. I know it's kind of interesting how the color ca- can kind of correlate. Um, mm-hmm. but for s- simplest simplicity reasons, I kind of say that. Um, and, um, 
or, you know, like a wheat bread, things like that. Um, so as far as like knowing what they are, a lot of people don't really know the difference. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean too. Yeah. yeah. So, well, and, and where do, where does, uh, because most people will know that, that, um, most of our fruit is pretty carb heavy too. So where does that mm-hmm. sit on the line between the two? Simple. So, so those are those still are more sugars. Carbs. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. pretty much sugars. Um, so okay. they're very simplistic carbs. Um, and I mean, they're healthier sugars, obviously. And you also, mm-hmm. you're also getting, you're also getting micronutrients from vegetables and fruits. So that's an, that's a reason to incorporate it. Um, <laughs> I, it was interesting. We had a, we had a discussion in one of my nutrition classes one time about whether or not, because a lot of people recently these days have talked about, oh, you should cut fruit out of your diet whether or not that mm-hmm. is good or bad because a lot of fruits have a lot of vitamins and minerals in them. Mm-hmm. Well, um, technically uh, you don't need fruit. You can get all of a lot of the, your micronutrients are actually more saturated in vegetables. So like when people are like, Oh yeah, you get a ton of potassium from bananas. It's actually not that much. Sweet potatoes have like four, four to six times more potassium than a banana does. You know what Ooh, I mean? Jesus. Yeah. So like, and like people will talk about, um, I'm trying to think something else off the top of my head. Um, oh, well, vitamin C, like coming from oranges and eh, not very much versus like bell peppers. Um, really? Mm, well, those are A's, A and K maybe. Um, but no, I, I do know that, uh, when it came down to us doing the research, mm-hmm. All of those micronutrients can be found in vegetables, but in even higher concentration. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean fruit's bad by any means? No, 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 no. Don't demonize fruit, please. Um, but but what I say for people is like, if you like that, if you want to t- take that sugar in, mm-hmm. do it at a time where it's going to benefit you, you know, in mm-hmm. the beginning of the day, right before a workout, post-workout, whatever, because your body's going to use those right away. Mm-hmm. Well, and... Um, and I, th- I think that you're so good at this nutrition stuff. I want to make sure that we, we kind of have a, uh, we don't forget that people can learn the basic, uh, you know, of like, you know, knowing that, that a complex carb is probably going to be more whole food, but a lot of people get this idea that simple carb, you know, means that they can eat more processed stuff, right? Because that's going to be more simple, simple carb. But there's going to be a difference between the way you eat, you know, the way a simple carb, what it's going to do for you as far as fruit compared to like what a box of Pop-Tarts is going to do for you, right? Right. Correct. <clears throat> yep. And and so is, <sighs> I don't want to get so complex because I, that I can't fucking understand, but there's <laughs> obviously going to be a difference. Like if you, if you were to go with, uh, like the method you were talking about and eating more simple carbs throughout the day, you know, it's obviously going to be better for you to eat fruits and it probably maybe has something to do with the micronutrients too, than it is to be eating, uh, you know, pixie sticks and pop tarts and, um, whatever el- other processed shit, because if I've done that, like when I've done that stuff, when I've like, I'm off my diet or I don't give a fuck or I'm stressed or whatever. Um, I know that I don't, f- I really don't feel great no matter how, like if I hit the amount of carbs that I needed to or not, like, I just don't feel like I feel groggy compared to eat if I, you know, throughout the morning and the afternoon, I ate a couple apples and bananas and stuff like that. Like I like fruit. Um, right. But there's obviously a difference there. Yeah. Um, so 
I'd say in a simple way, at the end of the day, are those functioning similarly or almost identical mm-hmm. as far as what they do? Yes. But the way okay. that your body processes them, different as far as like needing, you need more digestive enzymes, uh, different mm-hmm. digestive enzymes to break down a Pop-Tart than you are going to need a banana. And if you think about it in, in a way of chemical reactions, um, when your body's producing um, digestive enzymes, it tends to also produce gas at the same time as part is is part of that chemical reaction, and that's where that bloating comes in and that ah. stomach discomfort and things like that. Ah, okay. Um, the other thing about like man-made sugars and things like that is I'm not an expert on this by any means, but I do believe it does communicate chemically differently to your brain when you're eating like a sense. processed man-made sugar yeah. than when you're eating a uh, natural sugar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know uh, the exact um, things on that, but I do know that that is a thing that is studied. So, mm-hmm. well, and, and also what I kind of like to ask you is would that also mean that um there's more potential for processed food like those simple carbs to eventually uh become like extra fat comparatively to to other like more whole food carbs i don't know that this is where i make an assumption because i'm like oh like processed food is bad you know yeah um so i do know that sometimes um I would say more or less that the processed food would be more likely for you to like hold water and maybe not necessarily real weight. It may be more like water weight. Um, Because at the end of the day, technically a sugar is a sugar and it will be made into glycogen. Like it -hmm. it will. Um, But I do know there's some things that will go on with the body. Like I said, when having to rate more digestive enzymes, different things like that that will make the body like hold more water in, in response to that basically. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess I would say on a surface level, probably not necessarily make you gain weight, but it won't make you look as good. And this is what I tell my clients when I say, uh, when I say food choices comes last, as I say, I tell them at the end of the day, calories in calories out, but you will look better if you eat whole foods and you will feel better if mm. you eat whole foods. Mm-hmm. Can you make the same progress? Arguably, probably pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. Um, except for when you get pretty, pretty close to like, you know, uh, being super lean, but um, pretty darn close. But it, you will look a little bit different just based on your body having to break down whatever you're forcing it to break down. <laughs> well, and and I think that would, I think that would definitely w- would make some sense because uh, it, if if calories in calories out is the first thing there Jordan site is a guy that I really like to follow and he's always argued that like he he, he gets ridiculously like ridiculously mad about this sometimes and he went on on like a McDonald's diet to kind of just prove his point so he didn't actually yeah. gain weight but he did say something about which which would make sense to me is like even if those simple carbs are not going to fat you know by my assumption which which sounds wrong is that then it would come down to how well your body processes and how good it feels and like how many micronutrients that you're really getting comparatively and maybe that's maybe that's the biggest 
Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be a possibility that you are getting less micronutrients. So you're not getting that facilitation for some of the things that need to be going on, which requires Mm -hmm. the body to gain water weight or whatever. Um, I, there's another point I was going to say about that. Hold on. Um, I can't remember, but basically, uh, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, he's right as far as calories in calories out, but um oh what i was going to say is also just how it affects your hormones too so again i don't know a lot about this ton about the studies about you know um, processed food and hormones but i know that it can affect them so again you are affecting how your body is handling things processing hormones are huge when it comes to losing weight um gut flora is huge when it comes to losing weight and so in my opinion when you're putting those processed foods in you know you're risking you know your you know upsetting your organs because they're having to process things differently. You are risking upsetting your hormones because of processes. And then, um, yeah, I, I just think that, oh, and then just not having that micronutrient delivery as well. I mean, for me, it just makes sense to, uh, if you're really looking for change, you know, kind of like I've talked about before, your body is a system. It's like a car, you know, it, it needs, it needs exactly what it needs. And if you don't give it that, eventually it's it's going to break down. So it just makes sense to fuel it in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's honestly, to me, that's the most basic idea that I can attach to because it makes the most sense is that if we do everything like we were meant to do evolutionarily, mm-hmm. um, we're going to be that much closer to the way that we should work. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I I demonize a lot of stuff. Um, and I do it for my own sake to kind of scare me into doing it. <laughs> almost scare me into doing the right things, you know? Um, but it, it's, it's like, if I can stay away from the foods that I kind of label as bad, then the better my body's going to feel and the more attention or attentive I'm going to be towards, towards what's important as far as my physical and nutritional health. Um, and the, the thing that um, that bothered, bothers me about it, I guess, is that it, it's it's also got these all these side effects, and and we can talk about this a little bit if if you know anything about it. But um, I do know that I I'm more I'm more susceptible to uh, like anxiety, and it seems like inflammation, and it seems like my my body doesn't sleep as well when I have those types of things in my system, and it, it comes down to like you were talking about with self-awareness, because I think most of the time people just wake up and like, man, I feel shitty today, or I feel shitty tonight, or I didn't sleep well, but nobody actually asks themselves why it right. was like that. Like, are they digging back and be like, okay, well, what did I eat yesterday? Well, okay, you know, what are, did I drink enough water or anything like that? And starting to, and trying to pay attention to, am, am I getting the basic things that really, you know, make me better at what I'm doing? Right. Yeah, yeah I, um, I mean, I think your philosophy is correct. I mean, evolutionary, that's kind of why I say uh, part of the issue is um, just cultural is because yeah, we really don't need that much to function, you know, and we don't really yeah. need, you know, this, that, and the other. We used to only eat for survival and mm-hmm. now we eat socially, like cultural, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's no longer a fuel. It's more of like a, a commodity. I don't really know. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, 
it's so people just use food differently now. Um, mm. And I think you're right. People don't always know how it's affecting them. Um, Cause I can definitely, you know, as somebody, and I think part of it is because sometimes people may have never had good habits. So they don't know what it feels like. Cause it's mm-hmm. really interesting for a client to me be like, Hey, you know, let's eat this way. Like literally just trust me for like two weeks. I promise you, you will feel better. Like there's just no question, you know, and then they do and they're amazed. But sometimes to me, when I see that amazement, I'm like, you know, you've lived 35 years and you've never felt this way before. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And so how could you know? How could you know that it would be better if you only ever experienced it one way? Well, <laughs> yeah. So I think part of it has just to do with sometimes with people can't have that self-awareness because they don't know what it's like when it's any different. You know, yeah. it's yeah. not until you change their perspective and, and they, they actually, they actually feel the re- results that they actually believe you. Because I cannot tell you how many times I sit in front of somebody and tell them all this shit and they look at me and they're like, okay. Mm, and they don't really believe me, you yeah. know, and, and then they experience it and they will come to me and be like, oh my God. And they have like this enlightenment mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, and, and that's, and that's why to me, it's so frustrating that, that people aren't educated because it's like, dang, if people just knew what they were doing, you know, maybe, maybe we could have a little bit more self-awareness of how food affects us mm-hmm. because other, you know, everybody would be doing, it. it'd be like a common thing. That's, that's kind of, mm, I don't, I, I don't know how much I want to get into this, but that's kind of why I don't like the if it fits your macros fin thing only because there's a ton of bodybuilders and stuff like that, that like spend a lot of time eating crazy concoctions or like just foods that have like added protein to them and like protein bars and shakes. And they rely on that like every day. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, your body processes that and receives that information differently than it does a whole food. Um, and I just, I don't know, I guess I just wish that it was easier, more easily accessible to everybody mm-hmm. and people were, everybody had that experience because I think it would, it would change some, some habits. Do you think that, cause I think I kind of know what you're talking about because people get so obsessed with the numbers that they stop paying attention to the, um, what it is that they're taking in is that what is that what you kind of mean well yeah like they'll just they, they'll, they'll, they'll like uh, they'll like literally like add protein powder to everything they're like okay well yeah, I, yeah. I added protein powder into my yogurt i ordered pro- yeah. protein powder in this i bake this with protein powder i'm like cool you are fitting the macros and you're figuring out how to eat around your macros i guess but you're not really fueling your body to <clears throat> its fullest extent or you're not really paying attention to the function of those macronutrients because mm-hmm. that matters mm-hmm. um it's kind of like when people diet really hard like low fats i think that my assumption is that they forget that fats really help regulate your hormones yeah because um, the clients that i come that come to me with broken hormones are have often been starved of fats for a while or really vice versa um yeah i've had definitely like especially like clients who've done like uh strict dieting with other coaches mm-hmm. um fats. well they'll just be too low especially for females females have to have yeah. like 
a certain amount of fats to function like period and a story. And, you know, you lose your cycle, like all these different things happen once you drop those too low. Right. And now your hormones are shifting. Um, do you males, it, it's a little easier to diet them a little lower fat than females, but it definitely affects your hormone production. Do you think that that has something to do with like a psychological, um, the psychological idea that, uh, fats will make you fat like people try to cut fat out because they're afraid mm -hmm. of gaining weight i think i think not enough people understand the function of the, the, the macronutrients i i just don't they don't understand what they, it does at a chemical level it was mm -hmm. honestly one of the, the the best things that ever happened to me was my biology classes where i started to understand you know it, biology and chemistry actually just kind of correlating them together I actually took both those classes at the same time and it was really cool because I was learning about like bonds and and molecules and then in chemistry and then in, in biology I was learning about like how these molecules like um are processed into the body and things like that and all oh, of the so. things that need to happen for that to happen um and then I started correlating those with food you okay. know, and how that works. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think that sometimes we forget that at the end of the day, our body is literally a bunch of chemical reactions. And you, you know, you need to put the right amount of each thing in kind of like kind of like a recipe, you cook a recipe, you put too much butter in it, it's not gonna turn out so good. You know, what I mean, you know, what I'm saying mm -hmm. like too much fats, too little fats, whatever. Um, and so I think that the, the main disconnect there is just people not coach is not understanding at a chemical level what's happening in the body mm -hmm. well and, and <clears throat> uh i i guess this is this is definitely um more for me than maybe anybody else <laughs> um which i tend to do every once in a while but so it's your podcast <laughs> true true but i want i do want to get uh information out there that people can i think what i'm trying to do is, is find basic clarity that people can attach to right um so so this last thing on macros would be this last curiosity would be what is the what do you think is the benefit of of proteins carbs and fats just for the sake of what it does for us you know what i mean so so what's what's the benefit of the protein what's the benefit of the carb because you, you said carbs are kind of like energy one um and then you know what's the benefit of the fats which you kind of said about like lubricating joints and stuff so if people joints. need to know the 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 importance of those three things like why are we putting those three things paying attention to those three things what are they doing oh. for the body um you are testing my memorization skills kind <laughs> of um so fats, like I said, having fat on your body is important for, like I said, the lubrication of the joints. Like being and too hormones. lean is like a power for strong, strong man competitor. That very bad for your joints. Very bad for your joints. Like they're what dry. Is? Being super lean is like a oh yeah yeah competitor. Bad. Yeah. yeah. You know, I can't imagine how uncomfortable that would be. Um, but uh, uh, I would say fats main thing is regulating hormones, but also facilitating um, some uh, micronutrient delivery as far as protein goes it is di directly affects the rebuilding process of the muscles obviously and i think that's mainly common knowledge um but it does and then it will also you know you do lose you know some of it for energy as well all of them do have a a, a role in facilitating um 
processes. And then as far as carbs go, those directly directly turn into glycogen, which mm-hmm. glycogen is stored in your muscles. Um, and that is what your body will readily take for energy. Um, and it's like a, it's like a direct conversion versus mm-hmm. like a fat and a or a fat and a protein. It's not really a direct conversion from a protein to glycogen. It takes it's more for a protein a lot and more fat processes to... to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So a carb is like a direct process and versus like a multiple process to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why obviously we talk about it as being, you know, your energizer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just understanding that, uh, you know, this is fairly common knowledge, but a protein and a carb are going to be four calories per gram. Okay. And then you got fats, which is nine calories per gram. And then that's how you can kind of like find out what your calorie correct count should be or is going to be for the day based on that. Right. So like, so even for example, when, when somebody is saying, Hey, 150 grams of protein and 60 grams of fat and people are like, Oh my gosh, that's half the amount of fat than protein. But if you do the math, because it's nine calories per gram, you're actually ah, getting about the same amount of calories from fat as you are protein. Uh-huh. I think people forget that, that they yeah. have different values. They're mm-hmm. not, they don't have the same value calorie, calorie wise. Mm-hmm. So would this also, would there also be some sort of detriment or, or benefit um, in the, the style of diet you have then? Because uh, do you try to to get? That's kind of a loaded question, but do you have differences in diets? Like, do people have different diets for the training that you do with them? Like the the coaching that you do with them? Is is that is that going to make a difference? Yes. Yeah, so, well, most of the time. So I try to diet them like co- coinciding to their training, uh, meaning like um, if we are going into like a strength phase, you know, they are going to have a little bit of higher fats. Their carbs are also going to be higher during that phase um, because they're going to need those glycogen stores. They're going to need that readily available energy. Um, And it's really important when you're spiking your cortisol levels, Mm -hmm. um, which happens obviously when you break down those muscle fibers that you are, that your hormones are shifting properly. And so their fats are a little bit higher. Plus they also need that a little bit extra padded energy, which I, I give from fats because it's more calories per gram. Mm -hmm. Um, versus somebody who, if they were in a phase where I'm trying to like hit them with endurance, I probably would actually, well, hmm, that's not a very good example. Um, but I guess when a lot of times when I, when I'm bringing a client into, a lower carb phase, it's because we've decided that we're going towards more of a deficient. So like their, their, their training is going to be a little bit lighter, a little bit, um, a little bit more reps, um, you know, as far as like, you know, 15 or 20, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. and I would bring those down. Um, and even though you're still going to blow through your glycogen stores, you don't really need as much readily available like uh atp energy which is just that like up to 30 seconds of energy that your body can um burst out which Mm -hmm. you do need for uh more for heavy lifting than you do for endurance Mm -hmm. um because after that 
a certain amount of time, your body switches processes on how it, it gains its continues to gain its energy. Um, so in an endurance phase, um, I don't force them to load up on, on carbs quite as much, I guess. Um, I would say that honestly, for the general population, it's more or less, again, I, I tend to base their stuff more around what we're doing acute training wise slash what their lifestyle is. Like, for example, here's, here's kind of an example. I get clients all the time that bust through their fats first. That is so common. That is so common. And so I will try in most cases with those types of clients to diet them at a little bit of a higher fat level, just because I know that asking them to completely change their habits may or may not happen. For the average person, it just... it just doesn't like if they have a tendency happen. to to eat food that's more that's higher fat. Well, yeah, they do. Like if they have that tendency already, they are probably going to struggle. If I am like, if they're like eating an average of ninety <laughs> fats a day, and I'm like, okay, now you only eat fifty, they're probably going to struggle, and they're going to yeah. be like, I'm busting yeah. these every day. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be like, okay, this person let's try to adjust them a little bit slower. You know, maybe hit their fats at like seventy, but then. Uh, adjust their carbs and fat around that. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? A little bit so that like those percentages would be a little bit different just because I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't like to ask people to completely change their habits like a 360 because I, the reason why I rarely do that is because most of the time it'll happen for a couple of weeks and then it won't or B, they won't do it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they just won't do it, you know? Um, so I like to take a little bit of a slower approach with that, but when it comes to athletes, yes, their macros are going to coincide with their training. Um, for example, with Alex, whenever he, we go into a comp, you know, I start to strong man competitor that's in epic proportions, if you don't know. Yes. A pro strongman competitor. So what I will do is our, I start to bring down his fats. Um, and then I start to increase his carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, last time when we went to, into the Arnold's, his carbs were 1400 a day. Jesus Christ. Usually he sits closer to like eight or 900. Um, well, and he's I'll, a beast of human too. He's like, is he uh, 300 pounds almost? Or? Nope. No, that's our goal. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's, that's partly why his fats are higher during off season two is because we're trying to put weight on him. Mm-hmm. Um, cause <clears> he's <throat> technically small for his sport. So he, I, yeah. I think right now he's sitting around 282 maybe 282 mm-hmm. um but he and he's I mean, not coach, a fat athlete like no. he's actually fairly lean for his sport yeah about 10 percent. he's really lean for his sport yeah yeah um 10 body fat um but that's because i i've been doing alex's food for a long time and when i first started with him it, it, first of all he did not want to he was like <laughs> anti but I don't really need to pay attention to my food. I'm a, I'm a strongman competitor, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, let him get, I let him get away with eating like a lot of like cheeseburgers and stuff like that. I don't allow that anymore because yeah. I'm like, listen, Alex, if you're my, my long-term client, I need your blood work to look pretty. I yeah. need your organs to be happy. <laughs> Therefore I'm not going to allow you to eat that way. So he eats a lot cleaner than he used to. So now he's like pretty lean, not to mention the more you reverse in and out, so he reverses in and out of diets. Um, usually, 
I've, we reversed him in and out probably, I would say an average of two to three times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets better every time and every single time he gets a little bit leaner and his metabolism gets a little bit better. And it's, trust me, it is very hard on me <laughs> because I'm oh, like, I'm sure. I don't know what I'm going to do with you. You yeah. were just, I've created a monster. Um, but, uh, cause every year we kind of have to push those calories a little higher, but yeah. Uh, anyways, with him, I pull those fats down because we've, you know, kind of hit our weight that we want, but now I want more readily available energy. That guy, you know, strongman competitions can be three hours long and you're waiting mm-hmm. in between events and you are, you need to stay energetic throughout the whole thing. So I, um, I will start to bring down his fats closer to comp and start increasing his carbs. And that's just kind of the way that we do it. So I, I do align it with, like athletes for sure. So can you also explain reverse dieting a little bit so people understand what that's doing for an athlete like Alex and like what the benefit is? Because it's, 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 it happens with a lot of athletes, right? Like bodybuilders and mm-hmm. powerlifters and depending on what you're, what you're doing. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, steadily increasing calories over time. Um, because your body is basically a machine that adapts, right? So you give a 1600 calories, it'll adapt to be to that 1600 calories. Then you give 1800 calories, it'll adapt. Then, you know, um, and your metabolism will adapt with it. It's also to help kind of stabilize insulin as well. So like a lot of people, when they, um, don't eat for a very long time, you know, you get a a huge crash in your insulin levels and then you eat a whole bunch, right? You binge because that's what you want to do. Now your insulin has spiked. So you end up like this, you know, you're going up and down uh, constantly and that creates energy crashes. It creates a lot of like grogginess, tiredness. Um, It takes away from your body being able to store glycogen because it doesn't know when its next meal is going to be. Your body really will adapt to whatever you do to it. Right. So, um, you steadily adapt to higher calories over time. Um, you do it nice and slow. So you can kind of body recomp through, which means that a lot of people will actually lose body fat during that time because when they reverse, what do you know, fine. Yeah. You finally, you are giving your body what it needs. So what does it do? It treats you nicely back by dropping some of the survival tools, which is its fat that has on it. Right. Like, like holding on to mm-hmm. weight. Yep. Because when you don't eat enough, your body is going to hold on to that fat because it's kind of like a camel, you know, it it collects, you know, a camel's humps collects Uh water, you know, during the day because, or whenever it gets it and it stores it Mm -hmm. for use. Okay. Your body, if it's not, if you're eating 600 calories a day or whatever, you know, say you're eating like way under and your body doesn't, and you have a really inconsistent eating schedule, your body may or may not know when it's going to get its next meal. So Mm -hmm. what's it going to do? It's going to store it because we are survival tools. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, exactly. And so, yeah. So, so then that would mean, because this is something else I was curious about, because that would mean um, that scheduling the way that you eat is going to be important too. Right. But that could also, because, and you can tell me what you think about this, but I, you know, there's people that, eats, you know, five or six times a day. It usually seems like a more of a bodybuilder thing. Um, I could be wrong, but you know, eat like five or six times a day. And then there's some people that eat like, like will will fast to a certain part of the day, like two or three in the afternoon and, and spend like eight hours being able to eat and then, you know, not eating until two or three the next day. So is, is there a difference between those or is it, is it just about the consistency of doing that exact same thing every 
day? Does it going to depend on like your training or do you not, I don't know. I do, do you not condone certain things when it comes to that? I, I will say that I'm not an expert on intermittent fasting. I don't okay. particularly okay. like it because it. in my opinion, for most people, it's unnecessary and doesn't always support their goals. And people mm-hmm. are just yeah not perfect at it, which a lo- some of those d- d- types of diets you really need to be perfect at. So meaning like yeah. your fasting windows are exact and mm-hmm. your caloric in- intake every time during those fasting windows are exact. Gotcha. And in my personal opinion, I don't like to complicate things for people because quite frankly, the average person ain't going to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, and maybe it just has to do with how, what their lifestyle is like. like. Correct. So occasionally, you know, um, I will say like some people who like have jobs where like they're a nurse, like a NICU or something like that, yeah, where yeah. eating during the day just isn't really reasonable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes lifestyle wise i have had lifestyle clients where i have allowed uh fasting windows because it just fits their lifestyle a lot better but you have to be dialed in yes i you know when i when when i when i put people on more specific diets like that i always try to set the expectation of i need you to be more perfect than you would if i just gave you something regular basically Mm -hmm. and if you're committed to that great if you're Mm -hmm. not committed to that it's useless. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you have, if you're fasting and you do fasting windows and you follow it some days and you follow it, don't follow it other days, it's not going to work. It's mm-hmm. at all. You know, uh, it's kind of like people who are always jumping off and off, off and on keto. Keto does work and it can help regulate your insulin levels and it can help you drop weight really fast. Um, but A, it's not good for a typical athlete because it, you're not going to go to those glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. You're not going to hold as much water. So sometimes people have a little bit of harder time with hydration. Um, and then the the last and, and, and most obvious thing is that sticking to a keto diet means that you're doing that basically 100% of the time, unless you're doing like a, a keto cheat meal diet. Um, but uh, even, even then, like you need to be more on point than the average person if you're going mm-hmm. to take that on. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like the more thoroughly you eat throughout the day the more kind of laxed you can be maybe like you don't your time doesn't have to be as on point but maybe that depends on whether you're an athlete or not too if you're just a regular like just sort of average gym goer like you know go five six times a week just to stay in shape then maybe it's a little bit different but um obviously our our most basic uh i guess knowledge or or basic idea around food intake has always been like three times a day, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So is there, is that a good method still? Or, cause I done a lot, you know, I think my most beneficial was when I was eating like five or six times a day, but what's, Insulin. what's the difference like between those and like, what's, is there something that's better off than the other? Or? It's, the, it's the insulin. Okay. I think, okay. I think uh, the main reason you should eat in within those amount of times is because of the if you can keep your insulin levels regulated throughout the day, because you don't because your body is going to uh, takes depending on what you're eating, but you know often between one and uh, I think four hours to completely process certain foods. So it's like okay. that's why they say every three, because your body's done. All right, it's time to to spike the insulin in a little bit, and so um, 
keeping that insulin level more regular through the day is a big, big one. Um, So that's probably the easiest way to do it then, right? Yes. Okay. Oh, for sure. Uh, And, and, and and I know it's more of a bodybuilder thing, but it's, it's really not, It, it has to do with more about, like I said, keeping that level throughout the day, the insulin levels, rather than just being like, oh yeah, it's going to speed over your metabolism. That's not, that's not really what it's about. Uh. You're hungry again because your body's processed that, you know, um, you're ready for your next meal. You're and um, you're not going spiking up and down with that insulin. Okay. Um, that makes sense. Which, which messes with your hunger hormone. And you know how you said you're, you have is- more issues when you don't sleep. That's because yeah. when you don't sleep very well, your body produces more of your hunger hormone. Um, I think leptin and ghrelin, I believe, um, when you are sleep deprived, right? So then it's mm-hmm. it's sending signals to your brain that you're more hungry, even if you're not, because um, oh. it messed with your hormones, right? So that's why a lot of people, if you don't get enough sleep at night, that's why it's harder to control your food throughout the day. Oh, okay. Okay. No, that makes sense. So you're, so, you're, you're really trying to control the, 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 the communication between your body and your brain and keeping your, those insulin levels, um, regular. I, I think that, that would be the most simplistic way to go about dieting mm-hmm. the average individual, not to mention, not to mention, I would say that the average individual that has never really like consistently dieted, they don't even just do something crazy. They just need to fix their relationship with food and eat whole mm-hmm. foods. You know, mm-hmm. it, a lot of people think they need to make this crazy drastic change and I'll follow this, I'll follow that. Well, at the end of the day, really, uh, it's about what your relationship with food is because none of those diets are going to work if your relationship with food is bad. Let me tell you that. And you're, yeah. and you're continuing to use it as a comfort or whatever. Um, and so that's, that's kind of why I also like to be more basic is because at a core level, it's more about, um, like I said, that, that relationship with food and this learning how to live a healthy lifestyle rather than following any specific diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, um, I, I always like to, I think there's a lot of factors that can add up, you know, for, for example, for myself, like I was, um, through my twenties, I was, I was going to the gym like six days a week. I was working eight or 10 hour days. Um, I was eating five or six times a day and, um, like my body stayed really lean. Uh, I, I always seemed to have energy, but it probably also had to do with my age, but I drank a lot of water. Like there was just a lot of things that kind of lined up really well, but I think mm-hmm. the, the probably the most beneficial part of that had to be the way that I took in my food. I think that that was a huge part of it was, was how I was taking my food. I was consistently almost every fucking day having five or six meals and they were all, they were all regulated and my body was at its best at that point. Yeah. When I, when I was eating like that. Yep. Chest levels are probably a little higher too, but uh, which helps. Yeah, Um, that's true. But other than that, yeah, that's the main, the main gist of it is that you found something that works and you were consistent and consistency matters a lot since your body adapts. Mm -hmm. So, so talking about consistency, then let's, Let's jump into the training part. So two things that I'm I'm curious to ask you about are like the plateauing when it comes to the physical part of it and people kind of freaking out and not really knowing what to do. I know progressive overload is is kind of a, a big thing too, but also recovery and people because we get so, well, my food's good, my sleep's good, like I'm training really hard, but 
you know, nothing's happening either. And I know recovery is a part of that. And, and we almost, we undervalue recovery a lot too. Um, but, and I don't know, I don't know which one you want to start with, but I think uh, plateauing because of, of uh, lack of stimulus is something I want to talk about. And then also the recovery thing and how important that is. Um, so one thing that I, I notice a lot sometimes with um, people when it comes to their training is it's pro- this is probably not as, as um, relatable for somebody like you, but a lot of people like to train, train, change their training up too fast because they okay. get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so that quote unquote lack of stimulus partly has to do with the fact that they aren't really following a progressive overload because they're wanting to switch their exercises up all the time. You know, you actually want your body to adapt because that adaption is where during that adaption period is where that muscle growth happens. Right. Mm-hmm. And the beginning, it's really hard. Now you're adapting that the muscle growth is happening and then you plateau and you have to change the stimulus. Well, I get complaints from compliance all the time, you know, like they want to change their training from week to week, week to, uh, you know, they're like, I've been doing lateral raises like for months. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing lateral raises for 10 years. Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there, there are some staple movements, you know, like squat, but you know, and you're going to continue to do them just, but, but you're going to run through different phases as far as like Uh reps, sets, what order that you do them in you know, um, small changes. You don't have to change the exercise by any means right away. Um, you can just change your rep range. You can change your weight. You can change, you can do like drop sets. You can do different things like that. And I think a lot of those things are underutilized not to mention people are just like really ADD with their training and they want to try the newest, greatest next thing. Oh, I saw this on Instagram to build your butt. Like I should do this exercise. It's like, okay. You know, uh, uh, the latest and greatest exercise is is kind of you know um, at, the, at the end of the day working out is very much meat and potatoes and you have kind of your a lot of your main movements and some um, movements that require more recruitment than others and there's reasons why you do certain exercises and there's reasons why you do them in certain orders there's reasons mm-hmm. why you do them certain certain in a progressive sort of way mm-hmm. um one of the easiest examples that I talk to clients about all the time is like when I have a client squat at first, I tend to do a goblet box squat first. So first of all, weights in front of the body because that's easier. And then I also put a box behind them because I'm trying to teach them body awareness, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're learning about depth and we're learning about how to um, balance our weight because a lot of people <laughs> have a really bad problem with um, – balancing their weight within their feet. So whether yep. or not they've got all of it in their toes and their anyways. And so that's where a lot of people can struggle when you put a bar on them. Right. So mm-hmm. you put some weight in front of them, you teach them, you know, Hey, you can squat backwards and sit all the way down and not fall. You know, mm-hmm. there's literally people, you put them on the bar, they're terrified they're going to fall backwards. So they won't put any other weight into their heels. Um, and then next, you know, we're going to take the box away. You still have the weight in front of you. Let's see if you still have the same body awareness with the same, you know, type of weight in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, can you still squat to depth? Can you still get up and down? Can you still balance that weight within your feet? Um, then we move into maybe placing the bar on their back. Right. So that's kind of like a very, um, easy and typical way. Like I would progress that and there, and the other benefit 
that I forgot from box squats is a lot of people's hips are really weak. So like, you know, like that sticking point kind of at the bottom of a squat or like when you start coming up right out of the hole. Yep. You're only like a few inches above depth. Yes. So box Mm -hmm. squats can really help with that, um, that hip drive because Mm -hmm. I make people stop. So like you're sitting all the way down and you're recreating that momentum to stand back up. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of having that momentum from coming down and coming back up, you're actually dead stopping and you're having to recreate that momentum, which also creates some um, stability and some power within the hips. Got it. Right. So there's, there's like a a ton of reasons why you progress things and do things in a certain way. And I just think that um, people don't utilize it that that well, basically. So the big part of it is people have to kind of get used to the monotony of it almost. Like you have to get rid, you have to like get used to the boredom of like that same exact fucking thing all the time Yeah, because you can't, like if, if you're not continually to sti- continually stimulating those muscles, then they're not even going to be able to adapt to the point where you can progressively overload, I guess. Does that Correct. make sense? I guess. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, and I, again, I, I've done this for long enough that I always, I, I get less complaints because I always set these expectations up front because I know mm-hmm. these questions are coming basically at some point. So I'd rather just be like, Hey, this is how it's going to go. Um, and anyways, um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that, and, um, I do think that honestly, in a lot of ways, food also keeps people from progressing because even if you are doing your training monotonously and things like that, um, if your food's not supporting it again, you're going to run into your, your, your physical, uh, wall if you're not, feeling your body to its greatest potential. You can't expect it to function to its greatest potential when you're not feeling it for that, for that reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's definitely been days where it doesn't feel like my blood is even running. (laughs) Like like I I don't have any mind muscle connection some days and my body just feels kind of uh, uh, like almost sticky. Like it doesn't want to open up to, um, to, to, uh, resistance. Is that, if that makes sense? Yeah. You know, um, obviously a heavily caffeinated (laughs) pre-workout may help with that, (laughs) but, but there are just days where, uh, it doesn't feel like my blood is even warm. Like it doesn't, does that make sense? It doesn't feel like it's, it's like I'm connecting to the weight at all, no matter what, how heavy it is or how many reps I do. Right. Which, which, may also have to do because one of my biggest issues for some reason all of a sudden is my water intake how important is is our water intake and the hydration part of this too i mean your body is 70 percent water so 70 percent less efficient if you don't give it water (laughs) (laughs) Um, come on zach get your shit together (laughs) it's very important because it is involved in basically every process in your body you have to have H, you know, the H2O molecules to attach or break down other molecules in the body, right? So if that's not present, those are not going to, that's not going to happen. When it comes to like our food? Um, well, and, and making sure that you have adequate water intake. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, uh, definitely studies have shown that not having adequate water intake 
for some reason communicates with our brain sometimes is, is hunger and like having different cravings for things that don't exist Ooh. simply because you're dehydrated. Oh, um, okay. so that's another reason is just. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I kind of had like this little tr- like trifecta of things that made sense to me. So what about what, like I mentioned before, what about the recovery side of this? Cause I, I know for myself too, like I've way ignored recovery. Like everything's been tight and I like couldn't grow anymore. And, uh, I was stiff all the time. And so there's obviously huge points of recovery, like definitely great benefits. Um, so what does recovery look like? What are, what are the types of things that we should be doing for recovery to make sure that our body can grow? Like, how does that fit, fit? How does that piece fit in with nutritional health and physical health? Obviously, at a scientific level, you know, the reason why um, recovery is important is um, because it helps our body continually adapt. Um, like, for example, as far as like rolling and stretching and things like that, you know, when you have an adhesion in the muscle, that muscle no longer is able to elongate and contract to its fullest extent, mm-hmm. right? So now we're not able to work it properly. Now we're not able to break down the muscle fibers the way that it needs to during its eccentric and uh, concentric and eccentric phases, which would be like the elongation and contraction of the muscle. Mm-hmm. Those are not able to happen very well. So now you're not able to build as well. Um, so it's important to break those down for so the muscle, the fascia can function the way that it needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, so and um when I explain it like simplicity to clients, I usually like interlace my fingers and I'm like, so here, let me pop this phone. I had to put it on a charger, but so I will like this, right? So this is how our muscle fibers should align. When we mm-hmm. break them down and heal, a lot of times this happens, right? Now we don't have stretch. We don't have the same, our muscle fibers aren't aligned. So when you roll them out, we're trying to return them back to this position. Now okay. we're able to stretch and contract to how we need to, right? Okay. So um, that's why it can really hurt your progress. It can really hurt how your your muscle belly looks because sometimes your body will adapt and it will have that balled up um, adhesion and it'll mm-hmm. work around it. And then the muscle will form actually to be a little bit different around it. Oh, the really? other thing that, yes, the other okay. thing that can happen is that once that's not, you know, if there's something in your body that's not working properly, our body is a kinetic chain, which means it's going to move somewhere else. So you can mm. have issues that start in your feet, it will move all the way up into your hips because something in your ankle is not working right now. Some, now something in your calf isn't working right now. Your knee is tight. Now your quad is tight. Your IT bands pull on your hips. Now your back is hurting because your IT band and your piriformis and your whole hip complex is tight. So now everything is working incorrectly. So the mm-hmm. body, unfortunately, because it is a connected kinetic chain, one thing is off. It will be a spiral of events. Um, and so that's why it's extremely important to not have mal- 
malmovement patterns because done over and over and over again over time that compounds and you end up with multiple issues you end up with uh patterns of movement that are incorrect um and that will actually translate at a neuromuscular level because your body is obviously built to protect itself so if something is hurting it's gonna you know do whatever it can to take pressure off that so it'll makes it'll make um compensate Yeah, it'll compensate making like maybe a smaller muscle that should be our tertiary muscle working. It'll make it the primary muscle working in that exercise just to make the weight move, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you got a problem. It's kind of like an easy example of that is people who have overactive traps and they're doing they're doing shoulder raises all day, but their 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 traps are really the prime mover. They're pretty Mm -hmm. much moving the weight with the traps. Yeah, your I mean your shoulders are not going to grow. <laughs> They're not going to grow. <laughs> like everybody wants massive traps anyways, Jen. Mm. <laughs> no. <laughs> I would much rather have my my shoulders way uh, overshadow my traps. Um and I'd much rather have it that way, but No, um, yeah, and and it, it might depend on what you do too because as a powerlifter like I my body wants to move everything. It wants to use its largest muscle groups to move weight. So when it comes to my shoulders, I have to, I have to learn how to shut off those bigger, bigger muscle groups, which I'm learning from a couple of different people, um, yeah. to make sure that my shoulders would actually grow and my yeah. traps not take over. Yep. Yep. And that's why body work is really important to do too, is because, you know, somebody who sits at a desk and has, um, overactive traps and mm. honestly, it's going to be very hard for them to mm. not use that because mm-hmm. that is what their bodies used to. And like I said, it'll affect your body at a neuromuscular level. So eventually as your body adapts, when you're like, Hey, I need to lift my shoulder. Your body communicates as like, and starts using your trap. You mm. know what I mean? It doesn't, it starts to miscommunicate once. So it almost it, like you, you lift this before you ever actually use uh-huh. your shoulder muscles to yeah. And, and your body now communicates that way. And, mm-hmm. and, and so that's why, um, working on a neuromuscular level is important too. And that, and that's mm-hmm. another reason to progress through exercises in a certain way is, um, really to train that mind muscle connection and that neuromuscular connectivity with your brain. It's not mm-hmm. just about, um, growing muscle. It's about if you don't have that neuromuscular connection, you're never going to be able to push that muscle to its full potential because your body isn't Mm -hmm. communicating with it properly Mm -hmm. and then like your body isn't well balanced and so you know it may it may affect the way you ultimately move weight or it may affect the ultimate ultimately the way you look on stage if you're a bodybuilder if you can't get everything to work and grow proportionally i guess maybe Mm -hmm. yep okay okay yeah and and, um and that's where a lot of times where injuries happen too no, it, it's it, it makes sense uh, in, in a way for sure, because there's things that I've chased. And I think what a lot of people do is they'll have a pain in a certain part of their body and think like that's where they have to dig in the most. Like that's where they that's where the problem is. So if you have lower back pain, maybe it has nothing to do with your lower back. Your lower back's just tight and it's causing pain right there when actually it might have something to do with your hip flexor, I guess. Or maybe your mm-hmm. piriformis in your glute or maybe I don't know, maybe even something down in your calf or I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know it that mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, it's like you chase a problem and you keep digging into exactly where it's at when that may not even be where it started. Yep. And, and, and when that happens, it, 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 
it, yeah, you can, you can sometimes call it cause damage from doing too much mm-hmm. to that muscle, thinking that that's a problem and also not getting to the core problem of that neuromuscular connectivity that has been broken. You know, like mm-hmm. that was a big thing with my back. Um, since I do have some nerve damage, um, from the, from the compression of the disc against my fractures, um, it was actually really important for me to reconnect my neuromuscular, uh, my neuromuscularity to my, my glutes and my hips and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, because now everything, my body was in such a protection mode because my back you know, wasn't aligned. And so, um, I've had to work really hard to recreate those communication pathways to certain parts of my body that were, were being protected, um, because of my back and that, Mm -hmm. and that happens, that happens a lot. Um, and so it's just really important for, for longevity. And as far as going about it, um, I know, uh, I, I know that, um, some newer research is a little bit more for like dynamic uh type warming up rather than even rolling sometimes in the beginning Mm -hmm. um i i did my first corrective exercise certification like probably eight years ago and 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 it's really kind of interesting how much it's already changed um as far as like the information like for example um, you know, in my NASA and corrective exercise book, they literally talked about rolling out the IT bands. Yeah. Well, recently they, they, uh, newer research in the last couple of years, because the IT band is, um, not a muscle, um, and it's a tendon, they realize that's a bad thing. Right. So you're not doing anything to that. Exactly. Like it's not really going to change anything. Right. No. So you're yeah. trying to attack it from above or below. <clears throat> um, so and usually, usually it starts in the hips. Sometimes you've got something going on knee or lower. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, you're right. As far as the fact that a lot of times that direct spot really isn't the cause. It's usually, Mm -hmm. it's usually what's in pain because of whatever is messed up in the kinetic chain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, beyond because there's, there's definitely dynamics, dynamic stretching i guess i mean dying movement yeah i don't you know i don't know if i consider it stretching and then static stretching that we're all used to which is like the most basic thing um which i think has its place too yeah but one of the things about that as far as like before and after a workout is just that uh your muscles have like their resting length and if mm-hmm. you stretch them beyond that resting length, um, they can kind of stay so like quote unquote stretched out kind of like a rubber band for a little bit of period of time. So like mm-hmm. if you stretch uh, static stretch for a long time before you do a workout, your muscle is, is not at its resting state. It's at, it's an elongated state. Oh, And okay. so that can create um, problems as far as like, how long it takes for it to contract mm-hmm. um and it's may or may not work properly because of that reason you don't really want it to be stretched out i i i know a lot of coaches mm, well not recently i've seen more and more coaches hate on um static stretching i still think it has its place and in my experience it's still super important but i i tend to tell people um 
you know, to do that at a different time of the day. You know, I, I encourage people to do it like before and after you go to bed, because a lot of people wake up stiff, you know, yeah. immediately go to work, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, I would say stretching, that kind of stretching is probably better to do um, at, at different times of the day. So it doesn't affect your workout, but still important to make sure that, that you keep that length of those muscles. Because the thing is, a lot of people are sitting these days and that creates shortened hip flexors, right? And mm-hmm. an elongated piriformis. And um, now you have weak glutes. Well, I wouldn't say weak glutes, but it, it's a different, um, the proprioception is different because the lengths are not correct, right? So they're not in that resting state position yeah they're, mm-hmm. they're in a tightened state now you know uh-huh. so it's still important to make sure that they are what they're supposed to be um but you know like i said at a different time of the day so you know 15 minutes after you or for 15 minutes after you wake up or before you go to bed or whatever um i i static stretch um like that and then i usually dedicate some of my active rest day to doing like some sort of like yoga type stuff um Mm -hmm. just great for core mind muscle body connection things like that um and then as far as the dynamic stretching goes i don't know that that's like the best word for it but like things that uh help activate things um before you work out so like for example um one of the things that has helped me a lot recently is concentrating on some of the internal and external rotations of my hip um, and doing different banded exercises before I do my leg day. It has made a significant difference on my form. Mm-hmm. Um, and just making sure that I have like a good communication of what's going on in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been one of the things that I've been focusing on is I wouldn't necessarily call them activation exercises, uh but kind of in a way that's what they are it's kind of like when you would do um box jumps before a deadlift um that's to help with the power in the hips now you're mm-hmm. you've, you've you've activated that that um the, the, that power in the hips and then um let's see if i can think of another example um well basically it sounds like you're you're trying to like the dynamic movements are like stimulating the muscles that you're going to use through your workout kind of thing rather than stretching them just because you're stiff thinking that that's going to somehow help your your movements yeah and 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 and, uh they also i think uh play an integral role in um uh, using some of those smaller stabilizing muscles that you're not able to concentrate yeah. on during a compound movement, right? Uh-huh. So I'm working on some of those hip stabilizers with the band that I'm not <clears throat> really like focused on when I'm squatting. So I'm, I'm building them. So my hips are uh, more stable. So it supports my squats. So it's like priming, priming myself for that movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense. Um, and beyond beyond like these things that you would do maybe depending on your sport or whatever your goals are you know if maybe if you're maybe you have static stretching more if like you're a gymnast or a runner or you know just do yoga or yep yoga is almost yoga is almost seems like to me like almost just stretching but <laughs> it is difficult um 
but so, so maybe it has to do with whatever it is, what your training style is too. But beyond this type of stuff, um, I know that you do a bunch of different therapies that are, you know, for recovery. Um, I love heat. I love, uh, sauna after my workouts, which would also be a form of recovery too. So, um, what do you think of, of these types of things? Like what are the things that, um, that are beneficial? What are the things that maybe people don't know as much about outside of static stretching? So, um, a lot of those recovery methods can help like break up lactic acid. Um, it can help detoxify the body, like the sauna, obviously. Um, and, um, it can also help reduce inflammation, which Mm. a lot of people have a lot of issues with that. Um, that's a big one, right? Yeah. So like some of the therapies that I do, um, I use infrared, uh, light a lot, which, so there's red light, which goes to the second dermis layer of the skin and will help like with collagen production, things like that. Mm-hmm. But an infrared light um, actually heats from like the inside out. And so it does get down to the bone. It gets down oh, wow. all the way. Yeah, it hits the nerves, the bones, everything. And so it, it can help uh, decrease inflammation quite significantly. Um for example, what I use at, at Elevate Mind Body Studios is called a cocoon. And it kind of looks like a spaceship that you go in and Ooh, your head pokes out of it. <laughs> you should come there. I'll get you a pass. You can come and explore. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, it, it runs off of infrared heat. And so like a lot of people will use it like for fibromyalgia or their mm. arthritis or for me because my, my back was inflamed. I would use it um, to reduce the inflammation in my back so I could go work out um, because it would just help. It would be like, an, uh, it's like, um, you know, a, a natural way to, to reduce pain, you know, instead mm-hmm. of taking ibuprofen or something like that, I would just reduce the inflammation, you know, for the temporary period really. But over time it compounds and I, you can really tell the difference of how much inflammation is in your body. Mm-hmm. In fact, one thing that's interesting about that is I'm a stress monster. I don't I relax love you. <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a problem. But um, so when I started going to elevate, I wasn't really tracking my food. I wasn't really doing cardio. I wasn't really doing anything extreme. And um, I will say that uh, mental recovery is really important too, because when I started going there, I didn't change anything. My food, my workouts, nothing. And just because I went consistently there like three or four times a week, a month later, I was like, man, I'm looking you know, pretty good or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'd get on the scale and I'm 10 pounds lighter. Wow. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> like, I was shocked. I was shocked. I hadn't changed really anything, but I felt so much better. And I just didn't have like all this extra extra inflammation, extra water going on in my body. And I, I, I'm telling you, it it is almost psychotically crazy how well your body responds when you start helping it (laughs) out a little bit, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I didn't, I didn't change a single thing except for mentally I was feeling better about myself because I was doing something for myself every day. And two, 
I was doing all these therapies to reduce inflammation, to increase um, sweat. So like I like the other thing I like to go in there is called the hot box. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a this it's sounds like a dr- shady. I've heard hot box <laughs> in one way. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, or I guess it's called the, I call it the hot box, I guess. I think technically it's called the red fit room. Okay. But not, um, not, not weed related, right? Not weed related. No, it's, it's, <laughs> um, it's red. So they have infrared lights inside and they have Himalayan salts on the wall to help open up your uh, lungs. Um, and the room is usually between 135 and 140 degrees. Um, and I like to stretch in there because obviously when it's warm, you can get into a deeper stretch because the muscles are warm, but also you're going to sweat out like literally pounds of water. It's insane. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, I, if you actually like work in there, work, you know, I usually do like yoga in there and I do hard yoga. So like, I like vinyasa yoga, which is like that flowing yoga where you're going to go through, um, a push up and a downward dog before every single movement that you do basically. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going through flow, but anyways, you'll sweat like crazy. And I'm telling you, it is wild how you'll step out of that and just feel 10 pounds lighter and just incredible. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, you can kind of do the same thing in the cocoon. They have um, things there where you can get in a little sauna suit and get into the cocoon. <laughs> You literally, I literally will come out of there and like the sauna suit has like the little feet, you know, parts for your feet or whatever to go in. Cause it's like a plastic bag. And then you put like a little sauna suit over it. Oh, Jesus. Literally have had puddles this high of water under my feet. It's disgusting. <laughs> little so gross. You can handle how disgusting it is. Little gross, but it's incredible. It, it you feel yeah. so good afterwards. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I obviously don't do that a lot, but I try to do it, you know, like once a week, once every two weeks, just kind of mm-hmm. refresh, re- detoxify, get some of whatever crap out. Um, and ever since I started doing that, like my body has been cooperating a lot, a lot better for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm the kind of person who doesn't really previous to this, didn't really believe in a lot of that kind of stuff, like a lot light therapies and things like that. But after consistently using it over periods of time, I am a firm believer in, in, in just reducing inflammation in the body and then just like mentally going into regularly taking care of yourself. I, 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 mm-hmm. It's hard to explain, but having that mental shift of instead of being like every day, being like, man, I should go do this, man, I should go do this, man, I should be stretching, man, I should going in and like being there and being like, I'm doing this for myself and um, feeling good about it and feeling accomplished. And then also working with your body, it just, everything kind of starts to come together that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not as good at this either. Um, I think I, I overanalyze life a little too much, but um and maybe it's, maybe it's also a byproduct of like these physical therapies, but uh, the mental therapy that you get from, from these things, just de-stressing and like bringing yeah. down cortisol levels. It seems to do a lot for your body too. Like I can sit in a sauna and just, and just be there and just like pay attention to my breath. And every time I step out, which is probably largely part to, to the heat, but I feel cleaner. Like my body feels like it's released something. Like I've gotten something out. And yeah, yeah. I think part of that too is 
I've been able to just not think so fucking hard, like not yeah. be in a moment of constant stress. Um, be still. Yeah. And it's almost like the, the mental part of these things too are a recovery almost. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. I, I, I would attribute, like I said, partly it being just therapies themselves, but I think the mental health that I gained mm-hmm. from regularly doing these therapies made my recovery all that much better. Like it's, mm-hmm. I, it's inexplicable to me. And that's why I literally take people to elevate all time. I use it as a, as a, uh, like a tool for my clients sometimes, like with, if they're super stressed or like they are like, I, I use it as an incentive sometimes for them to hit goals. I'm like, Hey, let's hit some goals here. We'll go to elevate, you know, we can, um, get you into a massage chair and get you into that cocoon, let you relax, let you, um, recover and things like that. And so like ever since I've really experienced it, the wealth of wellness is Mm -hmm. truly uh, priceless. Mm -hmm. No, I think this is something that is very easy to ignore because the, the, the physical part and the nutritional part it's the action thing, like, yeah. like that's what we're doing all the time, anyways. Especially in, in in American culture, like we're just chasing, 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 chasing. And I think it's getting harder and harder for us to slow down and yeah. balance that out. And so maybe that's why recovery is so hard when it comes to our training, is because it, because it's 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 that much more difficult to pause and to yep. not be on the go and to not be thinking about our next move. I, I know it's very very difficult for me. Yep. Yep. I agree. I agree. And I, and so that's why I I said like part of, part of the recovery process now is mental. And that's why, like, even with clients these days, um, I'll put into their schedule, Hey, uh, this week, I want you to hit this many self-care days. If I feel like that's good, that's something that they're lacking and it's affecting their training because they're not taking care of themselves or they don't feel they're taking care of themselves mm-hmm. then you best believe i'm going to start scheduling that into your training because that affects your training mm-hmm. you know if you're not if you're not feeling taken care of mentally everything's going to fall apart eventually yeah um, yeah there's only so much pressure you can put on there yeah and so i um have started to kind of uh make that as part of people's recovery you know uh, especially like busy moms sometimes uh you know people who are used to having to put other people before them, like their kids yeah. and stuff like that. Super. They have a hard time taking a step back and thinking, Hey, I can't pour from an empty glass. Mm-hmm. So I need to refill this glass before I come back to this because otherwise ultimately at the end of the day, you're doing everybody a disservice by not taking care of yourself. Right. Mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I have created it as being kind of a focus for some of my clients, especially who struggle on that, because it, it, it will affect your training to some degree. It'll affect your discipline. It'll affect how you feel about yourself. It'll affect how you feel about your training. It'll affect how you feel physically, mentally. It'll affect how you interact with people around you. Um, and ultimately, over time, you know, compounded, if that's negative, you're going to have a negative experience. And so I, it's important to compound a positivity in your fitness and training environment in order for you to maintain it. Um, and so I think a part of that is uh, making sure that your mental health 
is being taken care of just as much as your physical. Mm -hmm. So we've covered like this trifecta thing. I kind of like it because it's it's all kind of come together and like like this balance of of all the things necessary to to be good at fucking uh, physical health. It it all kind of encompasses, I guess. Um, Do you think there's anything that we miss is something that, that really needs to be known that people that maybe we haven't covered yet? Be pretty good. Um, I think the thing that people have the hardest time sometimes with is making sure that they set their expectations correctly and their mm. and um just their perception of things. You know, your perception is everything. Um, and so I think that when somebody goes into any sort of training, nutrition, really anything that they're trying to accomplish, um they need to learn how to set their expectations correctly, where whether that is their short-term and long-term goals need mm-hmm. to be attainable. And then they also need to go into something um, with the perception of it being a good thing for them. You know, when mm-hmm. people go into training or nutrition with a negative attitude or this is a chore or I have to do this because my doctor said so, you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm-hmm. Um so as far as like, I think most people, or I think a lot of people fail training mentally more than physically in mm-hmm. pretty much every aspect. Um, that's why it's sometimes a lot easier to train in-person clients because it's easier to uh, become attuned to their mental health um, versus somebody who's online. Um, so I guess... The main thing is that understanding that all of this, all of all of your physical activity, everything that you're trying to accomplish really comes down to uh, your mental state and making sure that you take care of that. And I think that that's um, a integral piece that a lot of people fail or fail to have and don't have before they get started. And so then they fail. So you have to come into this knowing the good and and, yep. and knowing that this is something that you want to do that you know is good for you in an overall in an overall perspective i guess yep yeah yeah um all right jen where is the best place for everybody to find you so they can take in all your fucking knowledge um easiest space probably instagram uh that's what i'm on the most and that would be jen d's fitness or Jendy's Fit. And then I also have my email address is Jendy's Fitness at Gmail. Clients can com- contact me that way as well, or people can ask me questions through there. Um, I also have a TikTok, which is Jendy's. I occasionally am on there. Um, Facebook, TikTok's again. A beast of us. <laughs> It's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> it really is. But you know what? Yeah. I had to start it because I had somebody recording my videos for my stories and posting mm-hmm. them on TikTok. And so I made a TikTok and proved it was me. So they would take that down as it oh. being them. Yeah. That seems to be happening a lot. Yeah. So I need, I was like, I need to have a presence on here. So people like, know who i am so if yeah. people start stealing my stuff like God. i have a 
source that it's coming from. Um, and uh, TikTok, yeah, it's something else. But anyways, <laughs> um, you can find me on there occasionally too on Facebook. Um, and then I also am under uh, Jennifer D's in the Trainerize app as well. That's where I accept clients now. And I can give you the link to that. Um, Trainerized, okay. Yeah, it's the app that I I use for my clients now because it's very organizational and it and it keeps them at, basically I it's kind of like a social media app in in the during the day for me because I get to see a feed of what my clients are doing. It'll tell me when it mm. completes the complete workouts. It syncs to their watches um, and their phones, so I can see like how much sleep they're getting, how many steps they're getting. Yeah, I watch you. Advanced. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah, it's really nice because it makes me it it it, it get it truly makes me make them be accountable because I'm mm-hmm. literally it syncs to their their food log so I can watch them log their food during the day um so it's it's truly a way for me to keep people accountable for what they're what they're doing no yeah that's like it's like god's over your shoulder <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> i mean they call me satan usually but um yeah. <laughs> well some sort of god <laughs> that's fucking amazing okay uh jen this is a this is a fan, fantastic 2.0 thank you for thank you for being here it was super super awesome um everybody thanks for being on uh the rmp uh, i hope you guys enjoyed this this <clears throat> 2.0 with with jen D's. um i put all of her stuff in the show notes thanks for everybody being here again thanks jen for for coming um Absolutely. stay strong thanks and stay open-minded <laughs> i'm your host zach Bye. Hey guys, I hope that all things we've brought here, including the people, have helped you change the way that you see the world. And if it has, then it would help us so much if you leave a rating and a comment on iTunes or give any feedback wherever you listen to the RMP. Thank you for listening in, and don't forget to follow and subscribe. Question everything, my friends. you train your biceps blood is rushing into your muscles and that's what we call pump your muscles get a really tight feeling like your skin is going to explode and you know it's really tight it's like somebody blowing air into, into your muscle it just blows up and it feels different it feels fantastic i was like as uh, coming is you know as uh, having sex with a woman and coming so can you believe how much i am in heaven I'm like uh, getting the feeling of coming in the gym. I'm getting the feeling of coming at home. I'm getting the feeling of coming backstage when I pump up, when I pose out in front of 5,000 people. I get the same feeling. So I'm coming day and night. That's terrific, right? <laughs> so, you know, I'm in heaven. <laughs>